Well, welcome to what is a jam-packed episode two of Scarlet Fever. Nebraska soccer suffered their first loss on the year at the hands of a bitter rival in extra period. Nebraska volleyball notched a very successful first week with wins over Colgate and Kansas State, so we will break that down as well as look ahead to another full slate this weekend at the Devaney Center. Lastly, we'll tackle the big one with this week's special guest as we try to answer where Nebraska football goes from here. Discussion on the sellout streak and what is ahead this week for Nebraska against Fordham. Lastly, we'll answer the age-old question, what does Jason Hahn know that we do not? That's all coming up on Scarlet Fever. My name is Grant Hansen. I am joined by senior sports editor Landon Wirt. And man, oh man, do we have a big episode for you today. You can follow Landon on Twitter at Landon Wirt. Again, that last name is spelled W-I-R-T. You can follow me at Hansen15 underscore Hansen. And don't forget, this is a daily Nebraskan podcast. So give Daily Annie B and at DN Sports a follow for all your campus news from the students who live it every day. Big week of Husker athletics on tap. We'll start with Nebraska soccer. Of course, the beat that Landon covered uh, at the beginning of his time at the DN all those two years ago. And it's a big week for Nebraska last week and a big week this week. We'll recap last week. First, Nebraska defeats Baylor for the first time in program history, 2-1 to one on Thursday. That was a good game. They did surrender their first goal of the year in that match. And then on Sunday, they suffered their first defeat of the year, unfortunately, at the hands of Oklahoma in double overtime. Final score was one to nothing there. Sammy Hawk, nine saves versus Oklahoma on Sunday. She is uh, the back-to-back, I believe, Big Ten goalkeeper of the week. So big, big week for Sammy Hawk and the Huskers, unfortunately unable to get it done against Oklahoma on Sunday. Your reaction to those two games, Landon? Yeah, uh, I mean, two really hard-fought games, which I think is probably a good sign for them moving forward. I mean, we kind of hit on this last week with Austin when he was in studio, but Baylor and Oklahoma, not the greatest Big 12 teams in the world, so perhaps this might have been a little bit of a snapback to reality for Nebraska a little bit after riding high through the exhibition in the preseason. Starting with Baylor a little bit, though, I mean, all three goals coming in the first half, Getting another goal from a freshman, which has just been a huge running narrative from Nebraska yes. this year. Sarah Weber, that's just, I mean, the play of Nebraska's young attacking talent has been one of the storylines of this year. So to see freshmen continuing to score has just been really fantastic and a really good sign for, again, as we mentioned, a team that really struggled to score goals last year. So. It was, you know, especially in Waco, hot, human environment, Getting a, being able to go in there, battle back after the game's tied to score a goal before halftime, and then hold off Baylor at home for the entirety of the second half. That says something about the metal of, mm. you know, this young team. Baylor, in some statistical categories, you could argue outplayed Nebraska. I mean, 20 yes. shots to 13, nine shots on goal to their seven, so... Another huge effort in that game, in addition to having nine saves versus Oklahoma, eight saves versus Baylor is nothing to be scoffed at either. So an absolutely huge performance from Sammy Hawk and Nat. And, you know, off the top of my head, I can't recall if she was uh, spelled at any point in that Baylor match. But Well, and then you think about, you know, American football, which we'll get to later in the podcast, uh, being a game of inches. Yeah. This game was literally a game of inches because that second goal for Nebraska that went in towards the end of the first uh, half barely got in off yeah. the top of, I think it went off the top of um, the crossbar, the crossbar and down. down and in. Yeah. yeah, that was a very interesting uh, moment in that game. Yeah, nice spot by the, uh, as, as a former soccer referee, I, w- I do have to say, nice spot by the assistant referee being in position right on the goal line to see that that ball did cross the line. I don't know if VAR or goal line technology will ever make its way down to the college ranks, but mm. yeah, um, it's funny that, you know, you mentioned all the freshman leadership, freshman, you know, goal scoring that's happened so far. Of course, it's one of the veteran defenders that eventually right. had puts that ball back in to give Nebraska the lead, so... Nice mix of experience and balance, but unfortunately, it was not able to continue into Norman, which was big sad. Yeah, let's talk about that one. Uh, I was unable to watch the game against Oklahoma on Sunday. Again, Huskers fall one nothing in extras. Um, talk a little bit about how that one played out. Just Huskers were right there, 
but just weren't able to punch anything through through yeah. the net, and they're shut out for the first time this year. Yeah, a game that featured plenty of chances to go around. It's almost stunning that you know zero zero held not only through ninety minutes, but then also a, a period of extra time as well. Again, you you look at Nebraska had fifteen shots on goal, which is a lot, and eighteen total. Thirty five shots total combined between the teams never usually results in just one goal. It really right. doesn't. If you look at like you know advanced soccer analytics, like expected goal metrics and things like that, of course not available for college soccer. But you have to imagine that you know you take those statistics on any between any two teams on any given day the scoreline probably doesn't end up one nothing so credit to you know both goalkeepers nebraska's and oklahoma's this was a little combined shutout effort between sammy hawk and mackenzie short did come in for some action so credit there and credit to nebraska's defense who on the whole has still been pretty stingy this year and allowed yeah. just two goals especially with you know, the shot totals they conceded in both those Baylor and Oklahoma games, being able to come away with just one goal in each of those matches is pretty good. You know, Nebraska, unfortunately, not being able to find the back of the net, plenty of chances there. I mean, even going back through some of the highlights you see on social media, there were op- there was opportunity after opportunity for either side to stake a claim in 90 minutes. Uh, Nebraska shots on goal leaders, uh, freshman Allison Napora, again, another freshman, yep. career-high three shots, Regan Robbie, Dakota Chan, Teresa Pujato, Sarah Weber, and Kenzie Coons all with two. Uh, in the back, another impressive showing from the Browns, Livia and Grace, both played the entire game, uh, keeping Oklahoma quiet in the back. Nebraska's defense, as I just meant, hit on a second ago, has been really impressive, so unfortunate not to come away with the result it was a nice you know sequence by Oklahoma that ended up winning the game I believe it was in the oh, 108th minute so yeah someone was bound to score eventually but, right uh nice 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 little sequence by Oklahoma to finish it up but unfortunate that Nebraska was not able to come away from that road trip to an L well let's look ahead to what the Huskers have in store this week first let's talk about the University of Omaha match of course this podcast will be released on Friday, we talked about a little bit about this last week. We'll probably end up in this rhythm a lot. So I will ask you a different formatting uh, of the question. For those of you who are listening on Friday morning, the Huskers will have won against the University of Omaha if they do what? Um, yeah, it's it's if they put together a complete performance again. Uh, one of the most impressive things about this team so far is that you know the back line, the midfielders, and the forwards have all seemed to have been really clicking and putting together good performances at the same time. You know, usually in soccer, when a team ultimately falls short, it's because one of those three levels of play, someone didn't do their job. So if Nebraska's back line is able to remain consistent, limit UNO's attacks, I admittedly don't know too much about UNO, but if Nebraska is able to keep another clean sheet at the back, uh, its forwards should do more than enough to put the game away with two, three, maybe even four goals. So I will give a more specific answer to your question that if Nebraska's defense has another sound, um, sound effort against UNO, it'll come away with a comfortable victory. Now let's look at the game on Sunday. This is the game that uh, we can actually give a legit preview for. Uh, Nebraska faces Loyola Chicago, who is 3-0. As Landon mentioned last week when we talked about uh, what was coming up for the Huskers, uh, they are a, a tournament team from last year, if I remember correctly. Uh, projected tournament team upcoming. There we go. Okay, so projected tournament team And they upcoming. were a tournament team last year. There we go. Uh, they are 3-0 on the year. Now remember, their match against Florida Gulf Coast has been canceled. However... They have yet to play a Power 5 matchup. Their first will come Thursday, which for those of you who, li- who are listening, is yesterday against Wisconsin. So when Nebraska plays them on Sunday, they will have one Power 5 game under their belt. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Loyola Chicago, who's coming to town in the Pepsi Pack the House game on Sunday. Tickets are $1, so you guys can make it out there and watch the Huskers. Yeah, if you're available, go out and watch that game and support. Hibner Stadium's a great place to watch a match. I've been fortunate to cover many a game there. So if you have free time on Sunday, definitely go and check that out. Interesting stat here. Nebraska is 4-0 on time against Loyola. But uh, uh, the first matchup, I guess, uh, started, that series started in 1995. Don't have any information. I'd have to dig back a little bit on their most recent matchup. But... You know, Loyola is an experienced team, a pretty solid program out of the Missouri Valley, consistently challenging for the NCAA tournament year in and year out. Experienced head coach, uh, Barry Bimby, in his 11th year with the program. So 
just kind of like Nebraska under John Walker, this is an experienced loyal aside with a with a pretty set identity and a coach that knows what he's doing. You know, a couple of players to look out for: uh, Megan Nemec, junior midfielder, probably Nemec, N-E-M-E-C, probably mm. mispronounced that. Uh, three goals on the season. Olivia Nab, interestingly enough, a junior defender, three assists on the season from the defender position. So that's something to look out for. You know, either getting in and playing crosses or the long ball is going to be something Nebraska is going to have to look out for against Loyola. And then, you know, pretty solid goalkeeper and senior Matty Hausman. So Loyola is an experienced side. It knows what it's doing. So that will really be a tough test for Nebraska. I don't know if I can prognosticate a victory on Sunday. I think it will be very, very tough. And it might, similar to similarly to the game against Oklahoma, come down to maybe extra time. But Loyola is going to be a very difficult, difficult test. And I think we'll find out a lot more about them based on how they fare against Wisconsin, which is another that's going to be Wisconsin's a side that will probably be somewhere near the top half of the Big Ten and definitely be challenging for an NCAA tournament spot. Quickly here before we move on, Sammy Hawk, my goodness. We talked yeah. a little bit. I'm not sure if this made it into the podcast last week when we were talking with Austin Nippelmeyer, but we might have talked about this off the air. But there was some discussion about where does the goalkeeping battle shake out? Well, I think it's, I think it shook out at this yeah, point. Yeah, uh, you know, back a couple of years ago, Nebraska had a, a goalkeeper whose name escapes me, but she was basically the number one. There was no... Uh, you know, no really opportunity for other goalkeepers to get in there. And Mackenzie Short was her backup. So Mackenzie Short kind of sat the bench for a couple of years, and you would have thought last year in 2021 in the spring that she would have had her opportunity, and she did. Mackenzie Short played very, very well last year. Common knowledge was that that was going to roll over and she was going to play this year. But going through Nebraska's lineup and all the talented goalkeepers on there, I mean, Sammy Hawk has come out – and not only, you know, won this goalkeeper battle, it seems, but she's taken it by the horns. Like, she's looked incredibly impressive. Great range, great shot-stopping ability. Like, she is a very, very complete goalkeeper, and it's been really fun to watch her so far. And those back-to-back Big Ten goalkeeper of the week awards, that's very well-deserved. I mean, everyone in the Big Ten is playing right now, (laughs) every single team in the conference. So the fact that on a consistent basis she's having the best showing, like, that's got to be a super encouraging sign for Nebraska moving forward. You know, I've, even if, as I mentioned earlier, even if the forwards might not be doing their job and the midfielders might not be doing their job, having a standout goalkeeper will keep you in almost any match. Well, the Huskers head to Tucson next week uh, after their matches against Loyola this week and UNO on Thursday. Uh, they will head and face off against Arizona State and Arizona in Tucson next week, and I believe that is the last week of non-conference play. So the conference yeah. schedule creeping up on us really quickly here as we edge into September. And, man, you talk about the freshmen of Nebraska women's athletics. Man, they are all over the place, and they are all really, really solid, both on the soccer team and with our next topic, Nebraska volleyball, now number four in the ABCA coaches poll. Last week, the Huskers... Dispatched Colgate three to nothing on Friday, and uh, they took down Kansas State three sets to one on Saturday. Uh, so that was a successful two and zero start for Nebraska. Kayla Caffey thirteen kills versus Kansas State. John Cook said in the and the press conference afterwards, the only thing that can stop her is setters. And maybe people are thinking, what do you mean setters for the other team? No, setters on your team giving bad sets. That's the only thing that can stop her, and man, that really showed. Another freshman, or not, sorry, a freshman for Nebraska, Lexi Rodriguez. Man, you talk about a libero who has come out and really, really shown out here in the first two games, and obviously in practice uh, especially. Uh, But Rodriguez, really, really solid first two games. 36 total digs, roughly five digs per set. 15 Friday, 21 on Saturday. Your reaction to the first two matches of Husker Volleyball? Should have been three. Yeah, I was going to say, I was about to say, time traveling a little bit because this podcast was released before the Tulsa news. That game did indeed get canceled. I think that what we, a lot of what we talked about last week kind of, you know, came to fruition a little bit. I mean, we kind of both said that Colgate wouldn't really be much of a challenge. And that Kansas State, a team picked to be, you know, top three, top four of the Big 12, was probably going to present the most challenge. 
Um, you know, you do what's expected against Colgate. I mean, a three nothing sweep probably, you know, didn't come as much as much of a surprise. But what I found the most interesting is Saturday. I mean, you come in against K State. You, th- you it appears that you're rolling right up two sets to none going into the third set that could be a make or break. Instead, <laughs> K State comes out and essentially punks Nebraska. Right. I, I couldn't recall it quite off the top of my he- my head, so I'm going back through the Huskers.com recap. It was a 12 nothing scoring run. The K State mm-hmm. went on to go up 19-5. I mean, you know, I'm not the biggest Nebraska volleyball historian, but it's very rare that Nebraska loses a set at home in that fashion. I mean, Nebraska is very rarely just absolutely punked in a set at home, but that's what happened. And the the coolest thing to me was that, you know, this Nebraska roster missing a couple of players, missing Nicklin Holmes most, you know, notably, comprised of a lot of freshmen. How do you battle back and respond after getting kicked in the teeth like that? And to yes. see Nebraska, like, come out, you know, the fourth set was always going to be a battle, but mm-hmm. to edge that out in a real back and forth clash and withstand some K-State momentum and do all that like that was a really really huge moment I think for Cook and his team yeah well and and coach Cook talked about it afterwards again you know uh, it's just simply that that they were able to say hey look we got down but we came back you know Nebraska kind of got stuck um, in a bad rotation um, in that third set, and it was really, really hard to get out of that rotation they were stuck in. That contributed to a lot of K-State's success there. Um, but, you know, Coach also talked about later, like, hey, we had a couple of freshmen who just kind of hit a wall because they're freshmen, right? And so he thought that a starting senator, Kennedy Orr, who's filling in for Nicklin Hames, uh, kind of just mentally and physically hit a wall somewhere in that third set, and they had to make a change midway through the fourth, and they switched Donnie Evans, Waverly native and sophomore. And in Cook's words, she was perfect. She was in the zone. Every set was perfect. And you could tell as Nebraska came back from being down 12-6 uh, in that set, you know, they controlled the first set totally. They won a very, very close second set, 20 total ties, eight lead changes in that set. And then you come back in the third, kind of lay an egg a little bit, get, again, stuck in that rotation. And then the, the fourth, you rallied really, really well. Yeah. And, you know, I, going into this, we kind of figured that Kennedy Orr may not have a huge role. We weren't really sure coming off the injury. Like, we weren't sure right. how much. She it, hasn't played in a year. Exactly. We weren't sure. So that wasn't really a surprising outcome. It was obviously great to see her on the floor and such. But, you know, getting... Ani Evans in there, like, that was just, she was incredible. Yeah. Like, 12, <laughs> 12 assists, like, that's that's pretty impressive to come in and do in limited work. And I so. believe Nebraska's kill rate off of her sets was, I, I'm i trying to remember, I don't remember the exact stats off the top of my head, but it might have been nine of, uh, of those 12, like, total, uh, I think it was 12 assists for probably the match. Uh, I can't remember in the set itself, uh, but... Yeah, I mean, she was just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and she was setting Nebraska exactly where they needed to be set. Uh, not to bury the lead, by the way, for that game, but, you know, that was my first game back in Devaney in a long time. I wrote for that game. The roar of the crowd when Justine Wong Arantes was introduced in between the first and the second set with her gold medal is one of the loudest things. I think I have heard in a long time. That was such a cool moment. Yeah, it was cooler to even see on TV. I mean, <laughs> winning Olympic gold is awesome, and it's awesome that you know Nebraska volleyball is represented on that stage. But yeah, hearing Devaney roar, I can't even imagine what it was like to be in there. And it was, you know, that reception is obviously well deserved. Yeah, and now Jordan Larson, also gold medalist from Hooper, Nebraska, a little Class C school, Logan View Scribner Snyder down there. Yeah. Uh, she will be introduced in October, and can you imagine what that's going to sound like? Because, listen, <laughs> Karch Karai, the head coach uh, of the United States volleyball team, has called Jordan Larson the best volleyball player in United States women's volleyball history. And now she'll be brought back to Devaney, in, I believe, in early October, if I remember correctly. 
Yeah, and she was nothing but brilliant in the Olympics. I had right. the opportunity. My my dad's a big volleyball fan, so we sat down and we watched a lot whenever it was on the USA Women. And yeah, that team was just incredible. And Jordan Larson was great. You know, like I said, loaned volleyball knowledge. Not the huge biggest Husker historian, but it was really cool to see that like small town Nebraska represented on a huge stage as well. So yeah, she's brilliant. So I'm sure she'll get an even louder reception. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I cannot wait to hear that. Let's look ahead here a little bit. Really quick though, yeah. do you want to mention um DN freshman athlete of the week, uh, our yes. Thomas Cotto uh, picks one each week. Lindsey Krause won it. She was, you know, very good against Kansas State. 12 kills, 5 digs, 2 blocks. Uh, had a good weekend overall. So, just shout out to her play as well. Uh, and the Scott native uh will actually get to be on the same court as uh as one as her setter uh, in high school on Saturday, except she'll be on the other side. Uh, so that that'll be very interesting to see those two Scott players uh, reunited on Saturday in Nebraska's match against Arizona State. All right, let's look ahead. Uh, another UNO women's program coming to town this week. Nebraska will face UNO on their first 11 a.m. match of the year. UNO is one and one, lost to Iowa State in a sweep. They swept Drake uh, on the other side of things. And that game will be played Friday. So that very similar, I think, to Colgate in terms of uh, the level of competition that Nebraska will uh, be facing. Uh, although, again, you have an in-state school. These teams don't often play each other. So in terms of what UNO could be motivated for, that'll be an interesting piece to watch. I believe Thomas is on that game, Thomas Cotto, uh, on Friday. Friday night, 6 o'clock, match against Georgia. Georgia is 2-1, and one, defeated by Pepperdine, who is ranked number 22 in the most recent coaches' poll. That is the uh, same team as Kaylee Hames. So, Nicklin Hames is uh, sister, so she plays for Pepperdine. Those two teams uh, had a chance to meet last year in the NCAA tournament this spring, and that did not come to pass. So, that'll be Friday night. I'll be writing for that game. Again, you can follow me at Hanson15 underscore Hanson for live tweeting on that. And then Saturday night, 6 o'clock, match against Arizona State. The Sun Devils are 2-1, and one, and their loss came at the hands of number 12, Louisville, in five sets, 15-25, 26-24, 17-25, 26-24, and 11-15. So big challenge up this week. Another couple Power 5 opponents, UNO as well. Uh, Georgia and Arizona are teams, Arizona State are teams that probably won't end up setting the world on fire in Power 5 this year. They could potentially both make the tournament they probably both won't be ranked but they will be challenges Arizona State features six international players on their roster um, they're from the Pac-12 so it should be a decent game on Saturday night against Arizona State I actually will be calling that game on BTN plus um, but your thoughts Landon on the upcoming schedule here for Nebraska yeah I, I'm not forecasting anything too difficult this weekend uh, UNO projected third place team in the Summit League which they have a couple of all league players so you know that game might just be interesting solely because it's the in-state battle it's right. bragging rights so I expect UNO to fully come out and push Nebraska on Friday afternoon I believe that's the first game of that challenge so Friday afternoon yeah, Georgia and Arizona State, I mean, neither team is forecasted to, like you said, set the world on fire in the preseason. Um, it honestly might come down to, you know, how much Nebraska wants it versus how much these teams that want to come in here and beat Nebraska do. I mean, everyone's going to try to come into Devaney and give Nebraska its best shot, right? That's kind of the point of these the point of these challenges, that's a point of preseason. It's great right. opportunities for these teams to come in and, you know, get that experience against one of the best teams in the country. So, you know, Nebraska should roll, but, you know, it's never going to be the easy 3 nothing sweep, is it? Like, these teams are going to want to come in here and try to take something off of Nebraska. So, expecting another weekend of forecasting the depth, getting some rotation. I believe Nicklin's going to be back. Uh, that's at least what John Cook alluded to on Monday. He yep. said that they were going to give her a full go in practice. No further updates, at least, that I've seen on that front, but that will be good. Um, but, yeah, uh, just really looking forward to seeing how they play this weekend. Yeah, and uh, Allie Gray, just wanted to get that in there. That is the name of the Scut setter, or former Scut setter, uh, who set for Lindsey Krause during those four years that Lindsey was at Scut. And they won four state titles on that Devaney floor. Uh, so that is, uh, that'll be an interesting storyline to see on Saturday. One more note, uh, Cook says Lauren Stiverens, the Nebraska middle, is hopefully this week going to start making her way back to some amount of volleyball activities. So... 
this is a return that is almost a little bit earlier than expected. Actually, for me personally, I wasn't very sure on how things were going to end up in terms of that injury. That was pretty quiet. Uh, but she's making her way back this week, uh, potentially, uh, for some extra activity uh, in practice. So that'll be very exciting. Nebraska's going to need all of its pieces if it's going to take down Wisconsin once we get into Big Ten play. So that'll do it for the first part here of Scarlet Fever. I'm Grant Hansen alongside Landon Word. Coming up, we'll talk Nebraska football as we get uh, into the Illinois talk with Jason Hahn, assistant sports editor for the DN. He joins us, and he'll tell us what he knows that we don't. That's coming up next. All right, now time for uh, the big the big part of the podcast where we, we kind of, you know, we have to tear into the meat of the week, uh, the things that many Husker fans are uh, in agony over from last Saturday. And uh, we will answer the age-old question, what does Jason Hahn know that the rest of us don't? Joining us, this week's guest, Jason Hahn is the only Nebraska writer to pick Illinois. He's the only one who is 1-0 on Nebraska picks for the year. So, Jason, what do you know that we don't? <laughs> well, my I, I've lived through watching my dad watch Nebraska football for the last 20 years. I'm 20, right? And uh, uh, I, I realized when you know it's going downhill. Um, and that that felt like a pretty safe bet, all things considered. <laughs> Well, you end up you end up getting it right. Uh, you're you're one and zero on picks on the year. Let's just talk about your general reaction. Of course, Landon and you both uh, were were watching that game live. So you know, as as you watched the course of the game, you know, what was some of the things that really stuck out? The big thing, at least for me to note, was that this is a team that, in theory, really wants to run the ball like it's like its great old predecessors, right? But this sort of vaunted offensive line has some very big holes and some very big consistency issues, which sort of rolled downhill, right? Everything sort of implicates each other in football. You know, if you don't have a good run game, your passing game starts to fail. So even if, like, in theory, you have good wide receivers, Austin Allen probably had a bit of an aberration, you know, getting so so few targets, right? The way that the whole system works together, you you sort of see just generalized dysfunction, and I think that's that's the word that I use most often to try and characterize this team. It was just <laughs> yeah. dysfunction. No, that's good. That's a good yeah. description. Yeah, I mean, um, the biggest thing for me, also like going off of that, was just at Monday's press conference, listening to Turner Cochran mm-hmm. and Samari Torrey just talk about some of the technicalities that go in behind like creating a good running ta- running attack. And that, to me, was the biggest, like, aside from the obvious, the self-inflicted wounds, you know, the missed extra points, Cam Taylor-Britt trying to throw the ball out of the end zone, the biggest thing that was the most disappointing was the lack of the run game. I was really, like, really surprised in the spring at how good some of those backs looked, and I know it's the spring game, but the spring game. And I was kind of disappointed to see, you know, Gabe Irvin, you know, not really be able to find rushing lanes consistently. I liked Marquis' step. I really wish that he would have been used in the ground attack a little bit more. So I think not getting the run game going was ultimately what killed them. But it's a double-edged sword because that was a combination of, you know, the run game not getting going, but also, as Turner Corcoran said on Monday, you can't really run the damn ball when you're down two scores. Right. So you kind of had to get well, away yeah, from that. You say that, but that's what they were doing when they were down two scores during that last drive. I like know. we, we, it's Frost isn't exactly blameless in all of this, which is one of the right. one of the unfortunate parts. Uh, the game management near the end of the game, and obviously it's armchair a bit, but a lot of it you kind of look back and you think, I don't quite know what you were trying there. Because pretty much no matter what, after you score that that first touchdown, you're going to have only about a minute and a half left best to drive down the field. It's it's just an odd sort of uh, strategy. Let's talk a little bit about a couple of Monday press conferences. Uh, we'll start with Landon with this mm-hmm. Monday's press conference, which is the one you were at. Uh, and let's tear into probably the most widely criticized <sighs> uh, comment from that press conference. Uh, you look at what Frost said about, look, we have we see a different front from Illinois, and that kind of threw half our game plan out the window. My first question to you is, you know, why why even say that? I I don't know. It's it's really baffling to me because 
when coaches get in trouble, more often than not, it's because they say the quiet parts out loud. Mm-hmm. Like you, you saw it in the NFL just the other day with Urban Meyer saying that vaccination status was like something that they considered when they cut players. Like that's mm-hmm. just not something you say. Right. Like the behind the scenes stuff like that within the coaching staff and to the team, like that's fine to admit. Like you can take the blame and say, mea culpa, guys. Like we screwed up. We didn't know what exactly Illinois was going to run defensively. Like, that's on us. But to push that out to the media, who you know is getting ready to tweet anything and everything you say about that game, you know, quotes like that are going to latch on, and then, you know, you just look even dumber. Like, it's just not a good look, and I don't, like, it it baffles me why he said that out loud because – the other thing that that does is just gives Illinois a ton of confidence. And not only that, but every team playing Nebraska. Like, if you can show Nebraska something that they don't already have on film, right. there's a good chance that they won't be prepared for it. Like, that's another thing that underlying that was essentially just admitted. So, I it really, it's a head-scratcher to me as to why that was conceded. Like, it was already conceded after the game that they weren't prepared for what they were doing. And then to, like, double down on that and say, not only did we not really know what they were doing defensively, but also, guess what? It was half of what we were doing right. that we didn't have any, like, I just, I don't know. It really was a head-scratcher. Yeah, and I'm not too, I don't I don't love too much the narrative building of, oh, yes, Brett Bielma, the the god of tactics who completely right. outplayed me uh, you know this like trickster king it, it doesn't really track very well unfortunately yeah so let's let's look a little bit deeper into uh you know the actual schematic meaning of that comment on it on its face right like that led every headline coming out of that press conference for the most part that was that was the big quote and it really in many ways implies uh, that they were unable to adjust. They were unable to make adjustments, which might not honestly be true, right? Like, it might be that they were able to adjust. He just didn't talk about that or explain that, but that's still what it implies that, hey, look, we saw a different front, and we were screwed. There, There is a sense, too, that uh, to an extent the offense did its job at points, right? right. Sure, there was there was the fumble, right? But you think of some of the back-breaking points of that game. There were there was a defensive failure, of course, the, the big defensive failure at the start of the third quarter to just be unable to stop an Illinois offense, right? So as much as we can sort of talk about how there was offensive dysfunction and that certainly played a part, the defense isn't... Uh, isn't inculpable for this either yeah and i mean some of the main like nebraska fan talking points that had been you know around over the past couple of years mainly the lack of getting the ball down the field and pushing it a little bit i mean that was there on saturday so that's at least something you can look to and say okay that might not have been an in-game adjustment per se but that is something that you know the team had been working on trying to fix over the last couple of years and at least that was there so that was promising one of the moments though i mean the thing that was interesting, and yes, I mean, it does kind of speak to maybe a failure to make the proper adjustments to win, but going back to that, like, the defense, you know, plays its equal part to blame in this. I mean, Frost said Monday that one of the biggest plays of the game, he actually called it the biggest play of the game, was the Caleb Tanner mm-hmm. roughing the passer and subsequent, like, penalty. So if you put that on there, and then also that long drive that Illinois had to start the second half, some of the in-game adjustments may need may have needed to be done on the defensive side of the ball because once Art Sitkowski came in the game uh, you know I think it was Ty Robinson that noted that you know he was getting the ball out a lot quicker he wasn't going into those like five six step drops like Brandon Peters was when he was in the game so the fact that the defense wasn't able to adjust for you know Sitkowski getting the ball out quicker was you know equally as troubling to me as the offense may or may not being able to adjust for the different looks that Illinois presented. Yeah, that I think might be the most terrifying thing to me about this last week, um, you know, defensively, is that Sitkowski, the backup quarterback for Illinois, was able to go 12 for 15 for you for 100-plus in limited passing. Like, you could tell Bielema was not trying to get Sitkowski to throw the ball. He was not trying to throw the ball to win. What more can Spencer Rattler do to you in a couple of weeks? Yeah, and and Sikowski too. I mean, obviously he played very well, right? But he's not a top tier quality quarterback. Right. This is a guy who throws double interception to his touchdowns, right? Um, and not so, only that, he transferred from Rutgers to get away from former Nebraska quarterback 
Noah Vedrol, who transferred from Nebraska to Rutgers. Yeah, so it's just not it's not a good look. Um, and you can try and say like, well, you know, uh, you know, there's any level of statistical error, right? That could be like an uber aberration, right? But you sort of look at some of the things that he was making. It's like, oh, that like anybody can hit that pass, right? Obviously not me. <laughs> I can't. But <laughs> but like if you're a Big Ten quality quarterback, right? Even like at replacement level, you're going to be able to have a field day against Nebraska, and that's just not tenable to an extent. I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. The uh, I think you called it, characterized it as. Um, Oh, gosh, something dysfunction. I'm trying to remember what Just you said. Generalized dysfunction. Generalized dysfunction, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, and I think that is, again, I, I think that's the first time I've heard that, but I think that's a very, very good way to describe some of the things we saw on Saturday. And it, to me, especially the Caleb uh, or the Cam Taylor Britt fumble mm-hmm. in the end zone. You know, here's a guy in, in, Cam, in CTB who is incredibly intelligent, he's a high character guy. Uh, he's a guy who's been with this team for a long time. He's a leader. He is a captain. And yet... Overall good football players. Too. Right. I mean, let's not forget that. You know, he, Likely an NFL talent. Yeah, an yeah. NFL draft pick. I think, I don't know You know where a recent mock draft shapes up, but I would, you know, it's safe to say that he's probably going to be picked in the first four rounds of the draft. I mean, he's, he's a good football player, which is, I mean, sorry to take the spotlight a little bit, but that's just what made that play all the more right. shocking. Yeah, and that's why it leads me to this thing on generalized dysfunction. And it almost seems like a psychological disorder you could almost diagnose because, you know, in the Illinois game, the play that was generalized dysfunction to me more than anything else was that CTB play. He just generally, like, does not make errors like that. Why does someone who's a leader on this team and one of the best players on the team make such a crazy error? And granted, he's inexperienced somewhat as a punt returner, but why does that happen? And again, it seems to happen even to some of Nebraska's smartest, most high character, and biggest leader type of guys. That generalized dysfunction thing, it feels like a problem that is certainly psychological and, and throughout the whole team in some ways. Yeah, for sure. I think it I think it does relate back first to the the sort of tactical end, right? Like the meat and potatoes end, right? You have so many different parts of the game which obviously interlink with each other, which which have to be with each other in order for, for it to work, right? Again, the, the passing game implicates the run game, the offensive line implicates it all, right? And so when you have like these basic building blocks start to fall apart, what you see is not only um, a sort of very tangible look, the running game isn't working, look, the passing game isn't working, but you see then like a superstructure built on top of that, right? There, there are complexes now, right? Adrian, who's probably quite a competent passer, keeps missing open, mm-hmm. open passes, right? Uh, and obviously, we like it could be just an aberration with Cam Taylor Britt, right? It was obviously an aberration with Cam Taylor Britt, right? But it, it does feel it does feel like this kind of systems collapse almost, right? Where where things just aren't working at the base, right? And all of these different uh like structures are being built on top of that on really shaky ground. I think that there's something to be said for a little bit of a mentality issue. And what I mean by that is when there you have a team like Nebraska who has consistently been at that three, four, five win mark, unable to get over the top, consistently, I would say it's fair to say, consistently falling short in close games, not being able to make that play to get quite over the edge, at least under Frost's tenure. I think there's something to be said that once, you know, one big mistake happens, there's a tendency to be like, oh no, here we go again, because right. there isn't that like past thing that they can, that the players on the team and coaching staff can look back on and say, hey, here's this game, or at least not enough of them anyways, hey, here's this game where we had a couple of self-inflicted wounds, a couple of turnovers, you know, things of the matter, and we overcame them and came back to win. And you can draw a comparison really easily to the volleyball program on Saturday who faced a situation like that. Set three, they get blown out by K-State, and they come back and rally and come back in the fourth. And Coach Cook talked later about how that's something that's really important, that they can have that and say point back to that Kansas State game. Yeah, and there's just not enough of those points for Nebraska football. So to me, it just seems like once that first snowball starts rolling, mm-hmm. it's hard for things to stop. And, you know, I've been able to watch and cover a good bit of mistake filled games since I've been here at Nebraska. I mean, even the past year with the football team, but that took the cake as one of the most um, mistake laden. And sometimes, like I said, it could be hard to get the ball to stop rolling once it starts. 
Let's talk a little bit about the other Monday press conference one from two weeks ago. This is the one that Jason was at. And when we talked last week, I said, look, I'm okay with Coach Frost being very short in this press conference and just saying, going over and over and saying, hey, look, I want to be, we're focused. We're focused on game day. And granted, I thought at that time, if they lose to Illinois, this could blow up. Those comments could kind of blow up. And on game day, they kind of did. I honestly, I, the blowback to that has not been as much, as big as I thought it could be. Um, but granted, the news cycle has been moving very quickly here the last couple of, of the, weeks. But yeah. what do you think on that and looking back retrospectively on that press conference? Part of the reason I think inevitably why the, the frost last Monday, um, the Monday before the one you were talking about, hasn't like reared its ugly head again was because of his comments this Monday. <laughs> right. Um, that they were so sort of shocking that. But again, it just does not implicate well when you when you um, say I'm fully focused. Right. I'm not going to give anything up. Right. I'm going to be. Uh, like you, you want to keep all your cards close to your chest, right? And then you go out there and you lose fifty percent of your playbook, right? And basically, like very few things on offense works. It's just not that doesn't inspire confidence. And uh, as much as you can say, well, this is just sort of media narrative building after the fact, right? Mm-hmm. There's no way that the players don't see that too, right? There's no way that the coaching staff doesn't see that. There's no way that Frost doesn't see that. Um, like they don't, they they don't forget it, that sort of thing, and. It's it's just really it's really unfortunate because you can sort of see, at the time I I was um, I was uh, rather surprised at the the stance Frost took right. But if you're going to keep your uh, cards close to your chest right, then that's a strategy, you know. Um, but you better hope that 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 carries over into that Saturday game right, because otherwise you don't look like you know what you're doing. Right. Let's. Uh... One last thought on this week's press conferences before we talk a little bit about the sellout streak. Uh, did you feel like the players, the players kind of to me who, who spoke, uh, kind of had a sense of shock around them? Did you sense that? Yes. I mean, Feldarius Payne came out and said it. Like, we were, I'm, he said, I believe on Monday, that he was still just in total, complete and utter shock at, you know, going back to the, you know, the complete systems failure that occurred on so many levels on Saturday. I think that there was a sense of, like, holy cow, like, so many things went wrong on so many different levels. And, you know, you really could sense that. And it's really tough to say, oh, like, here's where things can get better and turn around because, like, this week kind of doesn't really mean very much as much as, you know, I hate to say it, like, I'm not going in expecting anything other than I'm personally looking forward to see how Nebraska's backups play against Fordham. I'm curious to, you know, analyze some of the quarterbacks behind Adrian Martinez and some of the skill positions behind some of the guys that are already starting. So it's tough, I think, for them on that level, too, to just, like, turn around and get super amped for Fordham Fordham, because it's not like Nebraska is coming, turning around and playing, like, a team like Northwestern or Purdue next week, a team that can say, okay, this is a Big Ten game. This can put us, like, right back on our feet within the conference. So I think that that shocked feeling, I don't know if that goes away super quickly, especially after losing in that manner. Because losing in that manner is never pretty, especially with some of the just soul su- soul-sucking mistakes that happened uh, that we've already hit on. So I, I do think that that general feeling of shock was something that was pretty apparent. If we're talking about the Fordham game real quick, um, yeah. uh, we might be, like, moving around the schedule a little bit. Um, I... I I, I'm going to like I'm going to push back a little bit against Julian. I do think that if you get these two wins against Fordham and Buffalo, right, that you can you can short term memory this pretty quickly, right? Yeah. You can sort of block out that Illinois game, especially because you can rationalize it a few ways, right? You could say like, oh, well, it was a week zero game, blah blah, blah you know, a couple mistakes go our way, blah. Um, so, but if these Fordham games are anything less than like like. 67 right if they're if they're not like i think my prediction for the week is probably going to be about like 45 21 right if it's even that it probably will not it'll feel disappointing it'll feel very disappointing exactly yeah and i wasn't really getting at that like oh this this illinois game is going to be a harbinger of doom for the year to come all i was saying was losing in that manner can kind of stick oh yes uh but you know, and it, as I, you know, it, you know, Frost talked at the end about same song and dance, right? We've seen this movie before, which is weird. Even hear to even hear him say that after yeah. the game, because that's something that a lot of fans have said for the last two to three years. So it's weird to hear that from the head coach. Um, but you know, 
I think that's in many ways why so many fans were disappointed because it, this is year four versus a head coach who's you know not he's not a rookie head coach but he's in year one with a backup quarterback and the loss is coming in about the same way. Yeah, yeah and I I'd like to add that 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 same song and dance thing it sort of is almost fatalistic in its outlook, right? right? It's sort of just like I have no agency over this situation, right? Which is just not really a claim you want to make as a head coach, right? Like, I'm just, like, giving myself up to this insane, arbitrary game I can't make heads or tails of. Um, that's not that's not a good message, per se, you know? Right. Well, let's talk about the sellout streak. Because this is probably the most positive thing um, to come out of the week for Husker football thus far. Uh, Trev Alberts, uh, long uh, with the... Uh, head of diversity and inclusion within the Nebraska Athletic Department, and his name is escaping me, and it's his idea, and I really want to give him credit for this because it's a really uh, good the, idea. The former head of diversity and inclusion or the current head? I believe the current head. I know the current um, head And was. forgive me for, you know, forgetting this. Uh, but while Landon looks up his name because he deserves credit, uh, I'll tell you the idea. Uh, so the sellout streak will continue this week, um, which is really exciting. Uh, 376 games and a group of donors who props to them for staying anonymous because they could have gotten a really big PR boost out of talking about this but uh, they bought the remaining tickets uh, roughly I believe um, I'm trying to remember the exact numbers but they bought the remaining tickets for the Nebraska game this week against Fordham and they'll be giving them to disadvantaged um, kids and their parents and guardians. This is probably, they're calling it, I believe, the Red Carpet Initiative. Missed opportunity, not the Go Big Red Carpet Initiative. But uh, it's going to be really cool. I'm really excited to do this. I really I hope this continues, honestly, beyond the Fordham game. And I, I know it's some people are going to look at it critically and say Nebraska is putting the sellout streak on life support. But this is a really cool idea. Yeah, it is. And just filling in with some details here, it's the Red Carpet Experience Program. It's being coordinated by Dr. Lawrence Chatters, Nebraska Senior Associate Athletic Director for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. So credit, it is really cool. Um, they get a free small meal, free parking. Like, that's pretty cool in addition right. with the ticket. It's cool. It, it is something I'd like to see continue. And, you know, it's easy to look at something like that critically and – you know, I'll have to admit that at first I was like, okay, like kind of suspicious timing. But at the same time, like, wh- what does this hurt? Like, kids that otherwise probably wouldn't be able to ever see a Nebraska football game or yes. getting able to being able to see one for free. Like, streak aside, like I just think it's something that's really cool, and yeah, it'll provide an opportunity for a lot of people who otherwise hadn't really seen a Husker football game to, before to be able to do so. Yeah, I think it's a nice, you know, it's a nice aligning of we want to keep the sellout streak going and we want to, you know, do that in a good way, right? So I don't really have any complaints about it, right? The sellout streak, by its very nature, is sort of, it's... It's it's been artificial for a while. Exactly, yeah. right? So you might as well make it artificial for a good cause, you know? Right. Um, and to say artificial isn't to say bad, right? Like, we all have these sort of constructs we build, so it's no big deal. Yeah, I just, you know, to me, you know, when I think about my experience growing up in Nebraska, like when we would go, uh, the majority of the time when we would go, it would be because my dad got tickets through the company um, that he worked for. And so we would get a parking pass, and very similar, right? Very similar to what these kids are getting. Um, and so the fact that they're going to get that experience, you know, that I had, um, and many people in Nebraska have, because that, that's a very common way of getting tickets, you know. Uh, in a situation where those kids otherwise would not have had that, um, and they get that experience almost to a T, besides the fact that, you know, the opponent is Fordham. Uh, it's probably better the opponent's Fordham. Right, because they're going to win, yeah, probably, exactly. I think. But, like, that, to me, like, that is just so cool. And, you know, props to, um, you know, Dr. Chatham and, uh, and Trev Alberts for this because it takes it you know I, I don't know if people realize how how much like doing things in a big organization like this takes in terms of uh, execution and planning um, and groundwork and they did it in record time so props to them because this is really cool yeah yeah I don't have any more thoughts on that matter it's cool yeah I mean, it, it really is so uh, before we let you go Jason 
Throw down your prediction if you have it. I think you said earlier 45-21, roughly. 45-21, and I don't necessarily think that's a great result, right, because you don't want to give up 21 points to Fordham. But um, it would be be pretty apocalyptic if this one's close. Uh, So let's hope that doesn't happen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll say goodbye to Jason on episode two of Scarlet Fever. And then we will give our Nebraska picks coming up really soon here in a new segment called One, Two, and You. That's coming up next. All right, that was Jason Hahn. Now we move to our closing segment. We like to end it on a high note here at Scarlet Fever. Grant Hansen alongside Landon Wirt, and we're going to be breaking in a new segment this week. And if you want to play along, feel free, actually. We can't give you any prizes or money, but uh, if you want bragging rights and you want to hop in the Twitter comments with your predictions and scores, or uh, if you want to hop in the comments, uh, I believe there's a comment section there on uh, the DN website where we will also be posting this on Friday. You can with your pick. So here's the segment. One, two, and you. And here's how it'll work. Each week, either Landon or I, or actually, well, both of us, will pick our top two favorite college football picks of the week and the Nebraska game. So didn't pick our two co- top college football games of the week last week. There weren't as many games to really pick from. And so we will start this week. Our records are both 0-1. We both picked Nebraska to beat Illinois. We were both wrong. Uh, and so now it's time to pick our 1-2 and you. Landon, you can start with your first of two non-Nebraska college football picks. Yeah, and full disclosure here, just to lay some ground rules, as this podcast will come out most Fridays, games on Thursday are probably off limits. That won't apply most weeks, but means we probably won't be picking as much action. Sorry. Uh, But especially on a week like this with a lot of high-level games on Thursday and some on Friday, too, like Ohio State's playing Minnesota Thursday night. I keep forgetting that game's happening. Uh, Some good games on Friday, too, highlighted by North Carolina, Virginia Tech. Sadly, those are off our radar, but what is on my radar are two picks that I have this week. I will give the first one now, but both feature my two favorite quarterbacks in college football. The first is my, my pride and joy, Michael Penix Jr. from Indiana. He is a bad man, but before I get into why I like Indiana this weekend at Kinnick Stadium against mm. Iowa, Tom Allen is doing a fantastic yes. job at Indiana. And I think that the work he's done there isn't talked about nationally, and I think the only way for it to start re-entering that conversation a little bit more is for Indiana to come out and prove last season wasn't a fluke. Now, I do understand that Penix Jr. has injury concerns, has, I think, finished all of his years as a starting quarterback injured, but I like the pieces that Indiana has on defense. Uh, Ty Freifogel is a guy that's still kicking it at wide receiver, and he's a stud. Taiwan Mullen is a great quarterback. And I'm really, really bearish on Spencer Petras. I've mm. never really been a fan of his. I would love to be proven wrong, but I don't really think he's quite there as a passer. I think Iowa lost a lot of good skill position players. And I think that Indiana will do enough to not only cover the three-and-a-half-point spread, but I like Indiana to win outright in Kinnick. Give me the Hoosiers 24-20 to 20 over Iowa as my first pick this week. Yeah, I really like that one as well. I will go ahead and give my Big Ten pick. Uh, I know it's number two on my list, but in the you know in the spirit of giving Big Ten picks, the other big 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 Ten conference showdown: Wisconsin and Penn State. Wisconsin is favored by five and a half points, and I like Wisconsin to win that one, 27 to 20. They will cover that uh, five and a half certainly. I think uh, I, it'll be close. Don't get me wrong. I don't. I don't think Wisconsin is going to blow Penn State out of the water. But here's the thing. I know Penn State brought in a really, really solid recruiting class for next year, not this year, next year. And I know, I know they've got a good coach. But here's the thing. I don't think they can bounce back from how horribly last year went. I know part of last year was COVID. I know they had some guys who didn't play, who opted out. I know they had some guys who got actual COVID. But I just I don't think they can instantly recover just like that. I think they can close. They did close the year well last year, and I think they can probably close the year well 
this year and jump in with the recruiting class next year and have a big year, I don't think this is it. And so Wisconsin wins 27-20 to 20 over Penn State. Yeah, one of my more interesting storylines that I'm following personally this year is just whether or not Penn State can bounce back from just a horrible, yeah. horrible year last year. So Big question at quarterback, too, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Sean Clifford and, you know, their backups now at Kentucky, so it's kind of his show. Well, let's move to your second non-Nebraska pick. Yeah, I was really tempted to look at some of the other more marquee games Saturday. LSU, UCLA, Georgia, Clemson. Both, to me, are toss-ups. So I went with a spread that I found a little bit interesting in the Miami and Alabama game, the Chick-fil-A kickoff at the Mercedes-Benz Superstone, former home at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Right? Yeah. Might be Caesars now, is it? I think it no, is. No, no, no. It's, it it's, it's in Atlanta. I think Mercedes-Benz. Oh, Atlanta, Benz. yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's weird thinking that I don't think it's actually the Superdome, but yeah. former home of Kanye West, no matter. Right. Uh, I <laughs> think that Alabama shouldn't be getting close to 20 points in this game. Really? I do like Nick Saban. I like, I think that, you know, this Bryce, Bryce Young is probably going to buy into the hype and more is one of the most talented Alabama quarterback prospects ever, blah, 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 blah. Good skill position players returning. John Mechie is very good, very fast, kind of like a Henry or a Waddle clone, Jalen Waddle clone. Right. I get that. But I really like what's happening in Miami. You know, Derek King tore his ACL in the last in the bowl game of last season, which was a huge bummer against Oklahoma my Oklahoma State Cowboys last mm-hmm. year. Very sad because you do you always hate to see a talented player like Derek King go out like that. But he is healthy. And one thing I found when researching this game is that Miami has Charleston Rambo, who was a very, very good receiver at Oklahoma last year and has torn up Oklahoma State on multiple occasions. Very talented. I like Miami's skill position players, and I like Miami to keep it close against Alabama. Really? I think that Derek King will provide a different look for Saban's defense. I know that he's the all-powerful Nick Saban and will probably end up getting the job done, but... I like Miami to cover the 19.5-point spread. I think Alabama wins this one in a game closer than the experts expect. I'm losing the ability to talk. <laughs> By a score, 34-26 to 26 Bama. And what should be one of the better games of the day? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if I totally buy into that. Uh, and for those of you who are not super gambling gurus, it took me a long time to figure out how this works. So the way Landon's pick will be counted, if Miami is within 19 points... Of Alabama, 19 and a half points. They landed is credited with the win, even if Miami doesn't actually win the game. So um, that is how that will work. After the Alabama video hype video, I don't know if that was even made by Alabama's content creating crew. They came out today for the Miami game. I don't know. I I don't know if I'd be willing to make that cover bet at 19 and a half. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I will give my second pick here, and this one will probably please many Nebraska fans if it actually happens. So Louisiana, Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns in Texas will meet, I believe, in Texas in the first game of the season for both of those two teams. This one is near and dear to my my heart. Last year, uh, when Nebraska was not playing, we didn't think there was a Big Ten season. Uh, we, my a friend and I, both adopted the the Raging Cajuns as uh, as our team for the year uh, until Nebraska comes back, or if they didn't come back, which they obviously ended up coming back. So we rooted for the Raging Cajuns last year, and they ended up actually being good uh, after defeating Iowa State at the beginning of the year. Um, and I, and I think that continues here. Texas is favored by eight points. This to me is insanity. I just with the new head coach. I don't trust it at all, and I and I don't trust it to the point where I would pick Louisiana to win it outright over Texas, 23-21. to 21. Again, Louisiana is favored, or rather uh, the eight-point underdog in this situation. Yeah, that was one of my favorite picks this week and something that I personally will take. When I heard that Sark is rolling with two quarterbacks this yep. week, the alarm bells went off in my head a little bit. That's maybe something you can get away with against Sam Houston State, but that's not something you can get away with with a against a ranked Louisiana team that returns a lot of pieces from a very good year last year and has a really good quarterback in Levi Lewis. So when I heard that, my ears pricked up a little bit. I don't think that that's something you can get away with this week. I think that it might, honestly, on the whole, take Sark a couple of years to get things rolling in Austin, maybe by the time the SEC move happens. I think that this year is going to be a little bit more middling, probably seven and five, eight yep. and four on the high end. 
And I do agree that I think Louisiana has the horses to go in there and beat Texas. All right, it's time for the NU and 1-2 NU. And Landon, you can fire off with your Fordham pick. Yeah, uh, I talked a lot about my two picks because those are games I'm actually interested in watching. Yes. <laughs> this game won't be as interesting as I kind of alluded to earlier in the podcast. I'm not overthinking this. Nebraska will win comfortably. Give me the Huskers 48-10. to I want to see Heinrich Harburg on Saturday. I hope uh, we get to do that as well. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit closer than that. Uh, I just I don't think Nebraska fans are going to walk out of this game with a good feeling in their stomach. I just don't think that it's going to happen yet. I'm not saying Nebraska's going to lose. Don't get me wrong. But I think Nebraska wins it 35-17. to 17. I'm revising a little bit from what uh, we had talked about before we did the recording. Not today. allowed. <laughs> But uh, yeah, thirty-five, seventeen, Nebraska over Fordham. I, I like I said, I I just I don't think you're gonna walk out of this feeling as good as you would like. I feel like Adrian, there, or there's gonna be a pick thrown, um, or an inconvenient fumble, or a special teams mistake that are gonna make people think, yep, errors still are not cleaned up. And so Nebraska wins it, but I still don't feel comfortable. Thirty-five, seventeen, Nebraska over Fordham. That's gonna do it for episode two of Scarlet Fever. And again, if you want to play along, 1-2-N-U, you can share your picks with us uh, either on Twitter, um, in the comments on DailyNebraskan.com. In fact, you might even be able to, I don't know, we need to get an email set up at some point. If we're getting enough fan interaction, we might need to get an email um, that you can send us your picks. Uh, But that'll do it. We talked football with Jason Hahn. We found out what he knew that we didn't. And uh, we also tore into some Nebraska soccer and some Nebraska volleyball. Nebraska women's athletics carrying the torch uh, for the last week for Nebraska, and we'll see if that continues into this week as well. So that'll do it. I'm Grant Hansen, and for Landon Work, this has been Scarlet Fever.